is. It's a pleasure to be with you all, St. Michael's. Uh, it is an even more abundant pleasure. It is a point of pride. And uh, as one preacher used to say, I'm uh, peacock proud and hippopotamus happy uh, <laughs> to welcome my mother and my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law and my wife, um, who you all know, uh, to worship with us today. Uh, it is a special time. Uh, it has been a joyous week for me. Um, and it is, as always, a pleasure to be with you all worshiping in the house of God here at St. Michael's University Church. In 1940, on Easter Saturday, two women were on an interstate bus from New York City traveling to Virginia. As they entered Virginia, they found themselves in a relatively empty bus and with the opportunity to move forward a bit to more comfortable accommodations. These two black women were then asked to return to the available seats in the colored section of the bus. They refused, were arrested, and were charged for disorderly conduct, creating a public disruption and violating segregation statutes. When the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People was contacted, the state dropped the charge of violating segregation statutes. Had these two black women been charged with violating segregation statutes, their legal battle would have most likely successfully challenged segregation on interstate buses. As it were, the case that would accomplish this feat would come six years later. Instead, these two black women spent Easter in jail, having refused bail, were convicted of the crimes they were accused of, and returned to jail after refusing to pay the fine they were given. Today we say their names, Polly Murray and Adeline McBean. We celebrate Polly and Adeline for placing their queer black female and gender nonconforming bodies on the line for the freedom dream of a people and a nation. On July 1st, the Episcopal Church commemorates the Reverend Dr. Polly Murray as the first black woman ordained to the priesthood. We honor her with the common prayers of both priest and those of a prophetic witness. We are accustomed to discussing the roles of priests and prophets as two sides of the same coin. We think of both as facilitating the relationship between God and humanity. The priest helps lift our prayers up to God, and the prophet helps us bring God's vision down to earth. They are not mediators. We do not go through them to get to God. They are holy people whose relationship with God supports and inspires the rest of us to pursue our own holiness. In this sense, like Polly. They are saints, as we are called to be. We are saints that are sent 
and twos, threes, fours, and fives, and sometimes alone, but always with the Holy Spirit as guide and comforter. We are sent with the world, into the world to do good work, to show great hospitality, and to bring the kingdom nearer. We are sent, as Polly and Adeline were sent to Virginia, and as Jennifer and Annie have been sent to me, as examples of holy folk, loving folk, priestly folk, and prophetic folk. Indeed, the relationship between the priest and the prophet is evident and readily available to us. Sometimes it comes in two different women, and sometimes it comes in the same woman, but her voice is familiar and clear. This week, we celebrated our nation's 243rd birthday, some with barbecue and fireworks, some with biscuits and coffee, some with military demonstrations and obnoxious speeches, and others will hopefully offer a belated gift by way of a FIFA Women's World Cup. (laughs) These various celebrations and controversies that have surrounded some of them have caused me to consider the relationship between prophet and patriot. To my mother's dismay, I was a patriot. My high school mascot was the Patriot. Each fall for four years, I played football in a red, white, and blue uniform every Friday night. And in the winter, I wore a little red singlet during wrestling season. Our school was on 2002 American Way. We were founded in the wake of 9-11 in a surge of patriotic sentiment. My mother, an avid sports fan, who is especially fond of high school football, was disappointed in my choice to go to Northside as opposed to a more competitive school. Still, she attended each game. Her and my father, a true patriot who served in the military for more than 20 years before retiring, came to just about every varsity game I ever played in. Eventually, they even wore the colors. (laughs) Yet, they always cheered us on. They raised money for us. They shared their knowledge of the game, whether it was solicited or not. (laughs) They showed up. They became patriots. My parents cheered us through two 0-10 seasons and eventually into a modest 5-6 and six season, which saw our first playoff berth in over half a decade. They could have given up on us. They could have refused to cheer for a losing team. However, they did not come to the games because of their love of the sport or for the friends they made in the stands or even to see us win. Obviously. (laughs) They came to the game because they loved their son with all their hearts, and their son had made a choice to help this losing team get better no matter what it took. 
Their presence at the game was not theirs at all. Their presence at the game was mine. When they showed up, it said to the world of high school football that we love our son. Our son loves this team. And his love is ours. And our love is his. And we will do whatever this team needs to do in order to get better. In a time where nationalism and sectarianism have made patriotism a dirty word, we need more patriots like my mother and father. A patriot is not the person who shows the most pride. It is not the one who does the greatest deed. It is not even the one who makes the greatest sacrifice. The patriot is the one whose love of their home is the most unwavering. The patriot is the one who follows the voice and values of that home wherever they lead. The patriot is the prophet whose love and critique of the nation is rooted in her love and obedience to God. Ironically, for most of its history, the word patriot was used to deride disruptive and dissenting voices in government. Patriots are not passive nationalists or pretentious ideologues. Patriots are passionate protesters. Patriots are prophets pushing their homeland and the world ever closer to its greater possibilities. This world's greatest possibility is a home for all people a home for the poor and the marginalized, a home for the immigrant and the dispossessed, a home for the loser and the lost. Rejoice, for each and every one of you have a place in this great home. It is even more than the world house that Martin imagined. It is a home that invites the many bodies we all inhabit, the black, the fat, the old, the woman, the queer, the trans, and the non-conforming bodies are all welcomed in this great home and are essential parts of it. Each of you are an essential part of this home. The great home is not complete without you. Its beauty is not complete without you, and its greatness will never be realized if you are not sent. We are all sent when we follow the prophetic voice into vulnerability and sacrifice. We find hospitality and healing, but we also find rejection and failure. Most often, we find awkwardness and discomfort, but the patriot never goes alone. The latter part of my father's military career was spent as a recruiter. He loved his job. He loved talking to young people about their hopes and dreams for the future. And most of all, I think he enjoyed offering hope to young people who cannot imagine a future. He hated the army. He despised the bureaucracy, the fact that the young lives he recruited were often in the hands of people who were incompetent or careless. 
He hated the wastefulness. And most of all, he hated the politics. He was particularly grumpy about attending various balls and parties as an NCO. He told the story of being at a party once and sharing some ideas with some of the folks there. He lamented that the next thing he knew, his ideas were the new marketing campaign for the United States Army. He never got credit for the idea, and his unhidden disdain for his superiors generally limited his growth in the military. But he was always immensely proud of his idea. My dad said the army was not a massive hive mind driven by some singular sense of national pride. It was a bunch of individuals doing their jobs to the best of their ability and trying to build a better life for themselves, their families, and their country. The army depends on each of these individuals and each of these individuals depends on the army. In fact, there is not one army, but there is an army of one. Each individual represents the entire force and resources of the U.S. military, coalescing for the success of both the individual and the whole. I'm not a fan of militarism. I am certainly not a fan of the various U.S. military interventions around the world and crimes committed on behalf of the American people. However, I love my father. And through him, I love and hope the best for every person who wears the uniform and fights for the interests of this nation. As I think about him and about all that he has left and about his patriotism, I feel deeply a sense of understanding. As I think about our work, the work of each and every child of God, I think about my dad's idea, an army of one. Yet we are sent into the world like sheep amongst wolves. We are not armed with guns or swords. We are not armed at all. We are sent with peace and we offer it freely. We are sent with love and we offer it freely. We are sent with compassion and we offer it freely. We are sent with citizenship and we offer it freely. We are sent with the kingdom of heaven and we offer it freely. We are sent with all that we need. It is not because of who we are, but because of who sent us. It is not because of what we do, but because of what God has already done. God has come near to us and invited us to walk along their side, and so we rejoice. We sing songs of praise and thanksgiving to the glory of God, and we go forth carrying the message of prophets and patriots and priests that the kingdom of God is near. We invite all into this great home because our love of God compels and demands it. We rejoice. We rejoice. We rejoice because we are free. And as Polly writes, the dream is freedom. It's always freedom. Amen. Amen. Amen.